Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hola, Pepe, que quiere marcharse de ese miedo. Pero de momento está enchufado. Ahora, justo lo digo y justo se pierde. Ay, a punto ha estado de cometer penalti. Pepe, 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 Pepe. Is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you too, Andrew. How you doing? I'm all right. Sun is shining here in Dublin. We've had a beautiful weekend. The uh, the the weather's warm. The back garden mm. was nice. I spent most of the weekend in the back garden cooking food and drinking wine and beer. So it's been Pretty decent in terms of a weekend. How about you? Yeah, pretty good week uh, all around. It's sort of weird getting used to doing these in a world without games. Mm. There's been so many fixtures back to back to back to back to back, seemingly for years on end, that having a little bit of a gap, albeit until Euro 2020 lately starts, um, it's quite odd, isn't it? It is because, I mean, we had that gap last year when there was no football whatsoever but for about the last 12 months or so it's just been football all the time i know he had some interlulls and things like that but but football was was there mm. and now it's not this is a, i guess a proper off season or close season whatever you want to call it and that of course is going to uh, have an impact on the things that we can discuss lots of questions um, headed our way today lots of stuff about transfers so we'll get into all of that I'm sure but mm. yeah it is a bit odd but I mean have you have you found or how have you found the last week or so since the end of the season because I have to say I've I've I don't know if a peace has come over me or if something has happened to me. Like, I feel a lot less stressed. And it's not that I was, like, really uh, stressed out about Arsenal or, or whatever. I mean, I didn't enjoy the season. Nobody did. You know, it was vexing and frustrating and all of those things. But it does feel like a really long thing has just finally come to an end when it really should have come to an end a bit sooner, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, I think that's sort of natural. I mean, I think there are kind of, especially if you're sort of covering the games and writing about the games and tweeting Mm. about the games, there is a kind of associated stress that comes with that because they're moments of high tension. You know, a Mm. team lineup comes out 
everyone gets upset and probably can't help be affected by that kind of craziness, you know. Um, so the absence of that is good. What I would say is that the football that has been going on hasn't made me feel great either. Of course, mm. we've had two European finals, mm. which for different reasons had kind of interesting reflections and ramifications for us as Arsenal fans. Well, well, where do you want to start? Obviously, with the the Europa League final? Let's start with uh, with Unai's, uh, the inevitability of Unai's triumph in that competition. Isn't it just the most frustrating thing of all time that this man wins the Europa League wherever he goes? Yeah. Like he could take over, like I said in the blog, he could take over a team in the Spanish 19th division and somehow within two years they'd be in the Europa League final and there's Unai Emery with the trophy in his hands. But the mm. one place he couldn't do it was at Arsenal. I saw a lot of like, oh, we sacked the wrong man or we we were wrong to sack him. I was like, oh, come on. There were good reasons why that happened. Um, And I was happy for Villarreal. And look, I don't have anything against Unai Emery personally. I'm happy enough for him. But I did find it annoying, even though it was really hilarious at the same time, because Man United lost. I mean, it was definitely the lesser of two evils in that respect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I really didn't want United to win that competition. Um, Solskjaer, I think, still hasn't won a piece of silverware in his time at United. He's got close a number of times. Usually only gets to the semi-final. This time went to the final. How long has he been there now? I don't know. It feels like a while. It's got to be a few years. Um, So, yeah, I, 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 and also Villarreal were kind of the underdogs, weren't they? I mean, no one was really backing them before the game, as far as I could see. Mm. I thought it'd be too tall in order. Um, so I was pleased for them. I mean, there's some amazing scenes from their celebrations. And for, the, for for a club that size to win a European trophy... Oh, incredible, yeah. It is a pretty extraordinary feat. You make a good point about Emery. He seems to win it everywhere he goes except to Arsenal. Mm. In fairness, he got at least to the final. I mean... Yeah, but know, we got we pumped. Been... We got absolutely pumped 4-1 by, by Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. I always forget that we scored in that game. I expected you to say 4 0 there, but we scored a really good goal, didn't we? A horrible consolation at the end, Alex Awobi. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, we did get pumped. Um, he was, I think you can't sort of kind of retrospectively say, oh, we should have kept Unai Emery. You know, a lot was going on, particularly in the Premier League, that kind of demanded that that attention was, uh, that situation mm. was attended to. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, he seems to succeed in that role everywhere else and didn't at Arsenal. I, I do think as much as he was problematic at Arsenal, I don't think he was the only problem. Oh, no, no, time. no. There was a lot going on around him. You know, there was a lot, you know, behind the scenes that 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 sort of, yeah, led to a kind of instability that wasn't helpful for him as a coach and, you know, for us as a team and all of that kind of stuff as well, you know, so... But anyway, at least an mm. English team didn't win it, which we were not presented with as an option for the Champions League final. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't watch it. I watched about 10 minutes of the first half. Right. At 0-0? Yeah, and then it went 1-0. I watched the bit where Chelsea scored, so... Um, but then, I, you know, I just wasn't... I couldn't on the possibility that Chelsea might win. I could easily, much more easily compartmentalise Man City winning it than Chelsea. Mm. 
maybe I, the I, London I, I rationally thing. understand that. Yeah. I completely rationally understand that. In the watching of it, uh, I realised that my distaste for Manchester City is actually quite substantial to the point where sort yeah. of neither outcome became ideal. I, I suddenly felt like uh, it would be so hollow for Manchester City to win it. But that would be the appeal, I guess, too, you know? Yeah, I mean, you could ask, you could argue as well that it's... Is it hollow for Chelsea if it's hollow for Man City because of the way they're financed, etc., yeah, etc.? You know, but but is that is that not us as... Um, fans of clubs which haven't won it or haven't won sour it grapes. you know is it sour grapes is it simply a case that well that's the reality of football right now and you know it might feel hollow to us and we're just making that excuse to make ourselves feel better because we haven't won it and aren't looking like uh we're going to win it anytime soon i mean we've got to be in it first um let me start let yeah. me start uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, the interesting thing about Chelsea winning, and it's something that's obviously been discussed subsequently on social media, is that their model is so much one of kind of continual change, you know, blowing things up and starting again at the first sign of trouble, you know, sacking managers maybe earlier than some anticipate um, and bringing other people in. And it does seem to engender for in that in that club anyway a kind of success yeah. and naturally people will hold that up in opposition to Arsenal particularly at the moment where they're kind of erring on the side of stability mm. um I but do I, think that, that they're on. different contexts yeah exactly you know the the Chelsea can operate like that because they can afford to operate like that you know mm. what I mean and look I, I say this um, and we have billionaire owners, so I know people will be shouting at that. But that is the way that they operate. They can just sack managers, pay them off, sign a whole load of new players, you know, spend fortune on some of the best attacking talent in Europe and then go on and win a European trophy. Um, you know, so they, they can really afford to do that and to operate in that way. And because of the way we're run, we can't. We can't mm. operate in, in that same way. But I do think, um, you know, that there are perhaps not lessons to be learned, but I think you can look at, you can't, uh, how will I put this? A winning culture can be instilled at a football club um, in ways that don't require tens and tens of millions of pounds every six months or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you can you can be uh, or have a winning culture if you really want to. Um, you may not be as good at it or it may not be as easy if you don't have all that money to spend. Mm. But, you know, you can, you can operate in a way which is smart and intelligent and gets the best out of your resources and maximizes the, the budget that you have and, you know, even even stuff like dealing with players differently. How long have we been saying that? You know, uh, from an Arsenal perspective, we we are so slow to make decisions on players that, uh, in the end, cost us a load of money because they either leave for much less than they were worth, or they leave for free because they can't. They're going to sit out the the final year of their contract. Mm -hmm. All of the resources and money that we have squandered because there isn't quite that leadership at the top. You know, the demanding nature of you have to succeed with what we give you, and if you don't succeed, 
you know, we we make obstacles for ourselves in the way that we operate, you know? Mm, mm. Do, you, do you think that's fair to say that you can be about winning without being absolutely bankrolled by an oligarch or a nation state or whatever it might be? It, I'm sure that is the case. I do think it's harder, you yeah. know, ultimately... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Abramovich says it's success or nothing, he's given a lot more leverage there by the fact that he's gone out and bought the players. You know, he has spent the money required to kind of make that demand. Um, I'm not sure you can give someone, mm. and I'm plucking this figure from nowhere, but like a transfer budget of, uh, you know, 50 million quid and say, you got to win the Champions League. Sure. But I think it's all relative. You can still have um, expectations against your level of investment. And yeah. clearly, you know, Chelsea have created that kind of top-down culture of ambition and success. Um, and, and, you know, it's a kind of slightly dull point, but not every player in that Chelsea team is wildly expensive. You know, there are some that are, but there mm. are plenty that aren't. Uh, for every you know, Kai Havertz, there's a Cesar Azpilicueta. You know, if you recruit well, you can still bridge that gap a bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's illustrative of a club that from the very, very top uh, is about winning and about success. And of course, Stan Kroenke famously said, you know, you'd get, or infamously said, you'd be crazy to get into football to win, um, mm. to win trophies. Because yeah. I guess he, he saw that as you know, throwing money after the problem. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, the thing that the, the, the Cronkies always say is that, I mean, they say it in the, they, when they took over the club, right? Uh, 100% in the, in the document, you know, they laid out the ambitions of the football club was to, to be competitive, to win the Premier League, to win the biggest trophies in the game. Um, and they don't say it very often, but that is what they have laid out as their ambitions for Arsenal. And, well, here we are, you know, so it's difficult to marry what sure. they say with the way that they operate because, you know, you could say, uh, well, I guess maybe the man who, 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 who was responsible for something like William Saliba is gone, right? But as an example, can a football club like Arsenal spend £28 million on an 18-year-old who two years down the line has yet to make a single appearance for the club? Is that the best way to use your resources? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And then you say, well, if it's not, who is accountable for that? And, you know, how do we, you know, how do we hold somebody responsible for, for that sort of money you know it's uh yeah i guess it comes down to um if if the accountability, own, accountability yeah and and like who is ultimately looking at what goes on and saying well that's not good enough that's good enough you know that has to change this has to stop mm. like i know this might sound a little bit weird but it sounds a little bit you know, from what we know and from what he's sort of hinted at a little bit, that the person who's doing that is Mikel Arteta. And then, you know, given some of the things that have gone on and, you know, the players that have uh, left and uh, things he said about internal workings and all of that kind of stuff. And the other part of that is like, should he be that guy? 
you know, should he not have more focus on on managing the team or coaching the team? You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's, uh, I think, a, a big debate. And obviously, as, as we enter the summer, mm. um, Arteta's going to have a big role to play in the recruitment decisions that are made. Yeah. Um, I guess at Arsenal, the problem is sometimes it feels like you can live by the sword without necessarily dying by it. You know, there's mm. you're granted authority without repercussion. Um and that is all about oversight and, you know, to what extent. I mean, I'm sure Abramovich isn't absolutely aware of every decision and the mechanics of it that is made at Chelsea. But I'm sure in, you know, for example, I think I'm mean, Marina Gravaskaya or Bruce Buck or whoever it might be. Mm. He has people who at least are relaying that information to him very closely, very frequently, that ensure, or that he trusts, basically, to yeah. make those calls. Um, Petr Cech, as well, is is the, in there now as a kind of football executive. So With his helmet on in the board meetings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I heard an interesting tidbit, actually, about Petr Cech. Um, oh, yeah. In that he, he was involved in the planning for... Chelsea's final preparations and he made sure they flew uh, to the game as late in the day as possible and apparently his experiences in Baku were a big influence in that because Arsenal travelled to Baku quite early um, did number of days training in Baku stuck in a hotel the players by the time the final came around were pretty bored and pretty grumpy um, and he basically determined he didn't want to experience anything like that again. So they flew out there pretty late in the day. I think it was the day before. Right. And a very different outcome. I mean, mm. you know, yeah. who knows how important that stuff is. But sure. It was interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, that was the painful week of European finals. Thank God they're over. Thank God they're over. And I also watched the... Ch- the um, Championship playoff final. I don't know if you saw any of that. I didn't. No, this the was Brentford. Off. Yeah, the goalkeeper off. Yeah. Um, am I right in thinking? I, I think I read a report that one of the goalkeepers made a big mistake. Uh, yes, uh, sent off. Uh, no, not sent off. Gave away a penalty. Sorry, mm. Freddie Woodman. Um, very rash early on. Raced out of his goal. Brought a guy down. Spot kick, and ultimately that was pretty crucial in the game. Um, He's had a really good season. He's on loan there from Newcastle. Arsenal have tracked him for a long time. I think he's had more clean sheets than any other player in the Championship this season. Something mad, like 20 clean sheets for Swansea. Wow. Um, He's homegrown, obviously, which is a big criteria for what Arsenal want in their number two. It's one of the things that counts against Matt Ryan. Um, But he had a little bit of an impetuous performance. Uh, The fact he plays for Newcastle is, I guess, potentially interesting. I mean, Mm. swap deals very rarely actually happen, but um, potentially maybe there there are ingredients there with Joe Willock and him. Um, David Raya obviously promoted with Brentford. He had a minimum fee release clause uh, depending on, you know, them going up. Uh, so so now that they have gone up, that becomes invalid. So the likelihood is, I think, that he will remain at Brentford. I think you're pretty relaxed about that, though. Yeah, I'm not that worried, you know. Um, based on the goalkeeping coach's previous recommendation, I, yeah, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine without David yeah. Raya. If that's the guy that he's suggesting... I don't think you get two goes at that. And I don't know why, you know, maybe it was just the, the, the chaotic circumstances of last summer where they had to find somebody after selling Emmy Martinez. Um, 
but yeah, yeah, he didn't cover himself in any kind of glory there. So, um, I mean, how how serious do you think the Arsenal goalkeeping search is? I know you did a big piece in the Athletic yeah. about transfers and all that kind of stuff, but are we looking for a number two, or potentially, are we looking for more than that? I think potentially more, certainly potentially more. And actually, I think there's a bit of, part of the reason there's not been more progress with it is that there's a bit of uncertainty. They don't know if they need a definitive number two. Do they need someone who is number two, who who could be a number one, you know, sooner rather than later? Um, Do they need two goalkeepers? I mean, there is concern that Bern Leno wants out. And I think from the way I understand it, even if there are some reservations about Leno, given the scale of the work Arsenal have to mm. undertake in this window, losing a first-choice goalkeeper like that would yeah. be unhelpful. I mean, when you lay it out, what they're trying to do, it's a huge amount of work and probably quite unrealistic that they'll do it all. So having to add more names to that list, more positions, um, would be a real pain I kind of think irrespective of what you think of Leno mm. um, I sort of think him him going would be a bit of a spanner in the works uh, yeah. I I think he's quite low down our list of things to worry about when it comes to um, transfer business and, and everything else so yeah um yeah I mean it's a tricky one isn't it because we're at that two-year stage with Bernd Leno he's got two years left on his contract you know mm. when when are we going to start operating in a way which, uh, like we said, or like I said earlier, maximizes the resources that, that we have available to us. Mm. You know, is it a case that, okay, we could cash in now, but who can we spend that money on? Who's available, et cetera, et cetera? Or is Leno with us next season uh, more valuable uh, than the lack of, or, or what that might mean for his transfer price in 12 months' time? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's well. He's at the point where he needs to sort of sign an extension. Really, mm. if he's wavering on that, which seems to be the indication, or, or sort of unwilling to do, to do that, it puts Arsenal in a problematic position. Um, I mean, yeah, there will be people who say Leno had a really dodgy second after the season. You know, maybe let him go. Um, it's just tricky. It just leaves you with a lot to do. You know. Yeah. Um, I, I think. What, what would you? What would you? If if Leno was hesitating on signing a new contract, what would you do? I think what I would do this summer, given everything else that's going on, is sort out the things which are more important. And to me, that's central midfield. It's mm-hmm. right back. It's an attacking midfielder, creative midfielder, and maybe a left back. Maybe a left back. Um, which is a really difficult one. There was, I, apologies, I can't remember the guy's name, and it's too far down my list of mentions now, but uh, there was a Celtic fan uh, talking to me on Twitter last week at one point, and just the, the, the concept of a backup to Kieran Tierney and how difficult it is. Because yeah. when he's fit, he is a first name on the team sheet player. And he is so good, he becomes fundamental to your team and how you play. So you have the problem, A... Who comes in to understudy that? Someone good, someone ambitious, 
maybe not. And then yeah. if you don't have someone good, the drop-off that you experience when tyranny is not available is quite severe. Mm. You know, the, 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 the quality gap between your options is, is really big. So tyranny being good is great, but, but it's also not that it's a problem, but it, it presents a challenge when you are trying to recruit a left back to ostensibly come into the club as backup for Kieran Tierney. Because a young guy is not going to play, and an old guy might not be that good, and everyone would go, oh, God, we're signing another old guy, which I get, but that's a difficult one for me. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'd say is, I mean, maybe it'd be different without European football, but as much as we all love Kieran Tierney, it's probably fair to say, based on his career history, he's not going to play every game. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be a surprise if he played 38 league games, I think, given some of the injuries he suffered, given his style of play. Mm. So I think there is potentially an opportunity there. I mean, that makes it all the more imperative you've got someone, right? Like, if you lose him and he's so important to your style. Mm. I, I think the issue we're having as well is not just that we that we miss Tierney when he's out. It's that we miss... We don't really even have kind of someone who's as good at doing that on the right-hand side. So it's mm. not even like we can pivot, you know, and... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know what you And mean. attack down that flank. It, it's just kind of... Uh, bit of a dead end when, when we lose him. So I, that I, that would definitely be on my list. It's on Arsenal's list. Central midfield, yes. Number 10, yes. I think, you know, we know the names in in that position, Odegaard mm. and potentially Ben Deer. And then the other fascinating one is centre-back, which just keeps coming up. Yeah. Know? What do you make of that? I mean, it's... it's it leads I, I me think... to think that there's something about the Saliba situation that we... Uh, aren't quite aware of or that there's an opinion held on Saliba which doesn't tally with the expectation that many Arsenal fans have of him being a part of the first team next season. Yeah, and, and I come down on the latter part of that. I think that, um, well, it was quite clear last summer that the manager wasn't convinced about the player and maybe not enough has changed in you know the 12 months since then or the six months since his loan spell, because I continually hear the names of centre-halves who cost a lot of money being linked with Arsenal, um, generally mm. right-footers. You know, you just think that doesn't look great for Saliba. And, you know, Arteta's been really clear. He's going to come back. He's going to train with us in pre-season. But I felt like he never offered a clarity of he will be with us playing games next season. I mm. think it was always very much like, yeah, he'll come back and we'll have a look at him. Um, and certainly that's from his side. You know, they're under the impression, well, we'll definitely be joining up with Arsenal for training. Maybe it's the cynic in me, but he joined up for, with Arsenal for training last summer and it didn't work out great. And I uh, am fearful because I want Saliba to be part yeah, of the yeah. squad. Uh, I'm fearful that uh, he may not be, you know, as as prominent in the plans. Yeah, as I mean, I'd I think like. last season, I think we have to put into a little bit of context in that his season finished in March because football shut down and he'd had some injuries. Um, and then there was the complete shutdown. He was training with us. Um, there was Project Restart. He couldn't play in that. There was the issue over you know, playing in the, the cup final in France. Uh, you know, so he'd basically gone six months 
after an injury hit season without playing, which is why I always felt like alone wasn't a bad idea. I never really had any any objection to um, the loan itself. I had some issues, as I think most people do, with the way we wasted three or four months of his Arsenal career or his career in general, you know, that could have been either playing in the Europa League for us against teams that he would have been more than capable of playing against or he would have been on loan with Saint-Étienne or somebody else in France for the duration of the season, which I think would obviously have been beneficial to him. That that three, four-month period obviously was a disaster where mm-hmm. I think it... It, it's led to a, a strained relationship between him and the club. I think, for, you know, you don't even have to read between the lines. He gave about five interviews in a week on his arrival in France to talk about how unhappy he was about it, you know? So yeah. uh, there is that context to it. But, yeah, the fact that Arsenal are actively and openly looking for a, a right-sided centre-half, it seems, when we have this £28 million player on our books already... Yeah, I mean, you you can only really draw one conclusion from that, and that is not necessarily that Saliba's finished at Arsenal or that he won't be given a chance, but that there are some very serious doubts about him. Yeah, they can't be convinced, can they? Yeah. I mean, listen, and it doesn't preclude him coming back and looking a million dollars and Arteta. You know, we've seen him have this kind of attitude seemingly to certain players. I'm thinking of Nicola Pepe, who it just felt like he was never going to be convinced by. And that has changed based on the players' performances and based on his commitment and his attitude. Mm. I don't rule out that happening with Saliba, but I just don't think, you know, you're talking about people like Koundé, Tapsoba, like 40, 50 million pounds centre-halves if you really think you've got the real deal in William Saliba. Um, so, yeah, I, it's it's a really strange one. It is a strange one. Um is that but, yeah. not is that not people would argue and say well this is the job of a manager mm-hmm. and of a coach like uh, to 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 sort of get what we paid for out of this player like well, Chelsea's a great example in that respect i mean one of the issues for Lampard i think is that he couldn't he couldn't get tune out of Havertz at all mm. and he wasn't using him um and you know to come in and He's got a couple of eight million pound strikers there, whatever it is, in, in Werner and Havertz, and you know he's managed to at least get some football out of them and make them look a bit better. And and I think when you hire a manager, it's tempting for a manager to be like, well, they weren't my signing, you know, it's not yeah. my player ultimately. I didn't make the technical choice on this player. But I think you're right. The other way of looking at it is, well, the club have invested in this player. Um, I mean, was was Edu there when Saliba was signed? I think. He had just, just come about. in that summer, hadn't he? Because that was the summer, what was it, summer 2019? 18. 18 or 19? Oh, 18. 8, 19, you're right. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, so he had just arrived. He it was the summer arrived. we bought Pepe, Pepe. And, yeah. So it was kind of the summer where he got a free hit. You know, he, wa- he wasn't too involved in the plans, but he was there. He was part of those conversations mm. and part of that decision-making process. So you'd like to think he would take a degree of ownership of it too. I know... Sanye is gone. I know Hasfami is gone. Um, but there are people who were at the club then who were party to those talks. Yeah. I mean, um, would the owners be within their rights to turn around to Mikel Arteta and say, well, look, you can want this £40 million centre-half all you want, 
but you've got a twenty-eight million pound, a th- nearly thirty million pound central defender that we got. So you're going to have to use him, or if you want this forty million pound centre half, you don't have the money for an Odegaard or a Buendia. You know, I'm not saying yeah. that that's what they should do, but wouldn't that be a reasonable conversation? Yeah, and I don't think everyone. I don't think they have the money to do all the things they want anyway, unless they get really fortunate with kind of the sales that they make. What, what do? Which, yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to what you. Sorry for interrupting you. I apologize. No, I, I'm curious as to what you think the summer is going to be like from a financial perspective, because we heard about Arsenal taking a loan. We know that the Bank of yeah, England yeah. loan it was repaid, and apparently they're from taking Barclays, another loan yeah. now from from Barclays. And it's it is, I suppose, at this moment in time, uh, relatively cheap in inverted commas to borrow money. Sure. So people will say. You know, the owners, they're billionaires, they're going to put in money, they could, you know, um, invest in the club. I don't think that's what they're going to do. I think if there are funds being made available to Mikel Arteta, that they will come from this kind of financing arrangement. And it won't be a gift. It won't be a present, a bag of money from Uncle Stan and Cousin Josh. You know, this will be alone that the club has to service. Yes, so do you correct. think that is what we're looking at in terms of financing the transfers that we're going to do this summer? And does it also not make the need to generate as much money as possible by sales important? It's not quite a, you have to sell in order to buy, but you have to sell in order to pay off or service that loan, which is basically going to be club debt. Yeah, I think you make a good point about interest rates being kind of an all-time low for now, and probably it's not as punishing as some of the loans this club has taken in previous years, say, for example, to pay for the stadium or whatever it might be. In fact, almost certainly not as punishing. But uh, I do think it creates a bit of an imperative. I mean, effectively, it will be debt. Um and, you know, it will need to be met at some point. I think I, I the indications from the club are that they are able to spend um, without selling, like you, like you mm. say. It's not a case of you need to sell to buy. Um, but I think you make a good point. It might be a case of you need to sell to pay back what you've spent uh, at some or, point. Down or the to line. buy more. You know, if you yeah. you can spend yeah. X amount, but if you generate more money, then you've got a little bit more money to spend. Yeah. And, and you know, that's one of the great uncertainties about this window is like no one can say for sure mm. who's going to go because no one can say for sure whether there are buyers for people. I mean, the case of Hector Bellerin is an interesting one. There's been a lot of talk this week about rail betties, but are they realistically going to come up with the kind of money that Arsenal would want for Hector Bellerin? I think that's debatable you know yeah for sure um, and that's i think a bit of a trend across what we're seeing generally i mean i've seen a few people complaining that the prices we're seeing against some of our players feel a bit low i, I mean may, that, maybe that's just re- reflective of a slightly depressed market i would imagine it it probably is and hopefully that would mean that when we're buying players we're also s- sort of getting yeah. the same kind of discount. works both ways yeah yeah but um 
it's interesting, certainly, you know, that we can all list players who would be available, but finding a club who would want them and want them at the right price, I think it's harder. Yeah, it's you see all the these kind of posts all the time, don't you? Like a list of players with a, a figure beside the name, and yeah. this is what people think we can get. This is how this we player. should do our rebuild. This is exactly we sell yeah, these just, eleven players yeah, for, yeah. and get in four hundred and twelve million, million for <laughs> yeah. for those players, and then we go and we spend blah blah blah. You know, I, I I really um, I'm really curious to see what way the market operates this summer. You know. Because football and football clubs have been badly, badly hit by the the lack of fans and the the financial impact of the the pandemic and everything else. And look, thankfully, it seems as if there's going to be or there is light at the end of the tunnel. And from next season, stadiums can be at least something uh, approaching full, and clubs can generate that revenue and what have you. But it's going to be really interesting to see. Who is willing to spend? Because there are clubs that it doesn't impact, you know, mm. City and Chelsea and maybe even Man United to an extent. When you see, I saw something at the weekend about who they were planning to buy. I can't remember. There was like four names. One of them was Harry Kane. I think yeah. another was Jane Sancho. Um, and there were another, yeah. there was another two. And I was like, what the, f-? like, did they... I don't know. Do they have a fucking printing press out the back? They're just going to print their own cash? I, possibly. You know. Very possibly. But you're, like, you're looking at minimum for the four players that they were trying to, to, to buy. You're probably looking at 400 million worth of transfers. Like, mm. is that what the Glazers are going to do to win back the hearts and minds of the United fans? You know, it's just so, it's so fascinating to see who spends... And, it, you know, it won't be so much about what, what these big clubs spend, but what the kind of second, third tier clubs are willing and able to spend. Because, <clears throat> let's be honest, many of the players that we're trying to shift are only going to be of interest to those clubs. So it doesn't matter what City spend, because they're not going to be buying any of, well, certainly none of the ones we we want to sell anyway they might they might come at you for one of one of your young talents at which point you have to run screaming but you know what i mean if you're thinking yeah. about Lacazette uh Shaka El Neni um Bellerin Cedric mm-hmm. Willian all these guys who we would be you know willing to move on to generate funds um and people can have their own uh, personal happiness index on each one of those signings, you know, the big clubs with the big money aren't going to be the ones buying them. No. No, it is going to be the, the Bettises and and others, you know. Mm. I mean, there's been talk this week about Roma and Granite Shaka. I don't know if you've seen that. but Yeah, yeah. Um, they seem to be very interested in him. I forget the exact fee quoted. Uh, I think it was either 20 or 25 million euros. Um, Again, not a ton of money, but in this market, probably useful to Arsenal. Yeah, on the Discord, Gagan J, um, or as you would call him, Georgahan J, um, said, what is an acceptable price for Granit Xhaka, assuming you would sell him? Mm. Would you sell him? Mm. I think I would. It's not a decision I make lightly, though. I think it's, um, I think it's a complex one. 
But I think, I think I would. Yeah, I think you have to refresh and renew your squad. And at the end of a season that we're all agreed has been a tremendous disappointment. Mm. Even though bizarrely he has probably been one of our better players within that, um, why not kind of blow it up and take it apart? Yeah, um, I would too. If the money was right, I would. I would sell. I think we have to, if we're going to rebuild, start to be ruthless is the wrong way to look at it. But like, how, how can you properly rebuild with all of the same pieces or pieces that have been fundamental to this, um, these last few seasons, you know, who we know, we know what they are. We know what they can give us and what it is, is something between sixth and ninth. You know, mm. so yeah, we have to do something different. Yeah, you know? exactly. You know, so uh, he's got two years left. Are we going to extend? If we're not going to extend, sell when his value is pretty much at its highest. Because when he's twenty nine, with a year left on his contract, we're into that same fucking scenario that we have uh, experienced time and time and time again, and we need to get ourselves out of it. And that Mm. might mean selling a player who you could make a very good case for um, to be part of the squad next season, who could be a useful member of the squad next season. You know, um, I know he had those Burnley moments this season, but like you, I agree, he's he's been pretty good. So I can see that side of it. But at what point do we start doing things differently with different people to try and bring about a different outcome? So for me, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense to sell. Yeah, and it does seem to be going that way. Um, and, and again, I'm sort of, although I'm a little bit nervous about uh, losing a player who it feels like his teammates are sometimes quite dependent on, mm-hmm. I, I also am encouraged by it because it at least indicates a bit of a shift in policy. You know, I know previously what we would do in this situation, and mm. that's allow him to stay, even though he's not really expressed a desire to sign a new contract, see his value diminish, and ultimately perhaps risk losing him for nothing. And that's the last thing we want. Can I ask you why you feel like a little bit nervous about it? Is it because, uh, simply because of his uh, stature, I guess, in the squad as an experienced player? And as, you know, I think uh, you're right to point out that many of his teammates, you know, um, think very highly of in terms of his personality and, and what he brings and his you know, most of the time, his his professionalism. You know, there's a reason why Wenger picked him all the time, Arteta picks him all the time, Emery picked him yeah. all the time, and, and Mourinho, you know, for all his evil, and God damn, it's a lot of evil, you know, he wants him. You know, these are experienced managers who can see what a player can bring. Is it yeah. that, or is it, or is part of it maybe, a lack of trust in, how he be replaced? In how he might be replaced, and with with who, or yeah, or think, by well, by who? I think it's a little from column A and a lot from column B. You know, if we had a really effective, proven recruitment department that you know were making a good job of replacing key players on a regular basis, I mean, if Arsene Wenger was at the helm, I'd be less worried. You know, because he always had a great 
eye and a great sense for when certain players' time was coming to a close. He anticipated it often. Sometimes felt he did it too early, but it meant that he was always in a good position to recoup some money and bring the next guy in. I'm not sure I have the same faith that we're going to kind of uncover Mm. the next heart of our midfield. That is another aspect to this summer, which is going to be really interesting because it is or will give us a real indication of the efficacy and the 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 talent spotting of this recruitment team. Because we can look at last summer and talk uh, about all the reasons why it was difficult for every club. And those are very valid reasons. I know it was the same for everyone, but there was a pandemic. Nobody quite knew what was happening. Nobody knew how long it was going to last. Nobody knew when fans were going to be back. We didn't quite know what the market was going to be like, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it was crazy and chaotic. And in the middle of it, we sacked our head of football, you know. So there was a lot of reasons as to why last summer, not saying you write it off, because I think you have to look back on it and learn some lessons, which I hope we do. But this summer, with the backing of the board, clearly, with time to assess the squad that we have at the moment, to make a proper, genuine, coherent recruitment plan slash strategy, like, there's no hiding place anymore. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do and how they do it i agree completely and that's a bit of a theme we talked about you know what does not having european football do to our our season next year and having no hiding place was one of the conclusions we came to you know ultimately there'll be a lot of scrutiny on our performance in the premier league and i think consequently there'll also be a lot of uh, scrutiny on our transfer business edu and arteta have been here long enough this Mm. is not a You know, and I know that the excuse of it being a tournament window will come up for sure, but there are, they have had time to plan for this eventuality and um, they will be judged on it. And I think, you know, there've been always little caveats in the past of kind of, well, is it Edu or Raul leading it? Or, you know, what's Arteta's saying in Mm. his head coach? Um, Now we know. It's clear, isn't it? Now we know. Yeah. Yeah. Now we know. And so the pressure is on. I mean, the pressure's on from us, from the fans, but going back to our point about Bramovich and Chelsea and winning culture, is the pressure on from the top? That's what we have to hope is there. And if anything might provide that, I guess all the unrest and the uncertainty and the underperformance may, but Mm. I'm less confident. Yeah. Okay, well, look, that's all to come throughout the summer, and no doubt we'll be talking about all kinds of transfer business and rumours and stories and uh, all of it, anyway, um, between now and and the start of the season. The window opens on June the 9th, so it's open quite early. Normally, it's sort of the end of June, isn't it? But they've opened it up a bit early, so... Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, look, uh, let's leave it there for part one. We've got plenty of questions, a lot of them about transfers as well, so we'll deal with those in part two right after this. Hold up. What was that? 
boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Would you like to go first? Oh, thank you, Andrew. That's I okay. will. Yeah, good. Uh, this is from James O'Connor at Twitter. He's at jayoconnor10 on Twitter. And he says, with Saka in the provisional England squad, mm. is it better for him to go, continue his growth development and most likely increase his value? Or is it better for him to miss out fully rest up, recover and go again for us next season. And then he says, I prefer the latter option. So he wants him to rest, basically. Mm. Hmm. I think it's probably better hmm, if he were to be part of the England squad for the Euros. And to play. Interesting. Why do you think that? I think, like I can see selfishly, selfishly, rest him. Wrap him in cotton wool or in bubble wrap or whatever. Protect him throughout the summer. Care for him. Rub his aching muscles tenderly with oil and make mm-hmm. him come back safe and, you know, fully rested, etc., etc. But I think we're looking at a, a, a young player who is potentially the best thing to come out of our academy in how how long? I don't know. A long time. Sometime. Sometime. And I think it would be to his benefit as a player if he were part of, you know, if he was good enough to go and play for England and be part of the England squad in the Euros, and if he played and experienced that, is that not something that, despite the worry about short-term rest, is that not something which stands him in good stead, you know, helps his development, grows his confidence and belief and his stature in the game, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, I see that. I mean, selfishly, as a Englishman who's going to be watching the Euros, I, I would like him to be there. You know, I think mm. uh, it gives me a kind of point of reference in the tournament. And, and to be honest, it's not a tournament awash with Arsenal Well, players. yeah, the, the the fat winger who's at the fat winger on Twitter. <laughs> I thought you were talking about someone that plays for us. I was like, who does he mean yeah, there? Which one is that? the fat winger's <laughs> not going. <laughs> I was like, Andrea Sharvin doesn't play for us anymore, Anne. 
Anyway, he said Arsenal at the Euros used to take it for granted that there were at least 10 or 12 Arsenal players playing regularly for their national sides back in the day. Now it's a bit disappointing to see such a dismal presence at the Euros. I think there's only four Arsenal players going to be there. Tierney, Shaka, Leno, who's Mm, number two. Probably not going to play, yeah. And maybe Saka? Is there one more? Uh, I'm just having a quick think. I mean, Saka, a lot of people anticipate him to be part of the cut tomorrow, that he won't um, go with the full squad, Um, which, you know, seems crazy to us who watch him every week. But there you go. Mm. I'm just flicking through the squad now. Obviously, Lacazette isn't there. Bios isn't there. Odegaard would be the only one, but he's not really our player per se. No, maybe that is the other one, though. I can't see another name. Cedric didn't make the squad. Bellerin didn't make the squad. <laughs> well, Cedric briefly experienced an international renaissance earlier this season. I don't know if you remember, Andrew. I do. In the height of Cedric mania. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't. It wasn't to last. No. Um, Sad. Are Iceland in it? Could it be Old Rinnison sneaking in? Don't know. Don't know. Bad, isn't it, that we don't know? Yeah. Um, but it, either it way, also says something, doesn't it? You know. Yeah, it's not a ton of players. I mean, that just says about sort of where where we sit, doesn't it, in Premier League football? I mean, mm. it's not that many, but for a club that finish eighth, it's probably about right. We also have a few South Americans these days. Maybe that, you know... Uh, mm. at, and some African players. We've all talked about the the problems of that we might face with Afcon next year, so that eats into our eligible contingent, you know. Mm. But there's a few young players, particularly young English players, who you'd think would have a chance of getting in squads for future tournaments. Smith Rowe, uh, Saka, of course. Um, mm. Who knows? Maybe Joe Willock. So maybe that will get arrested that decline in kind of international players but it is an odd one I, I think it will affect my enjoyment of the Euros don't know about you mm. yeah I mean I always like to see Arsenal players playing you know it does give you that little bit of extra interest in in the games I suppose we'll be looking at pretty much every player who plays well As and a potential going, signing. we should sign him we should sign yeah. we should see that guy who did that thing we're gonna oh sign him that's what's going to happen. You're absolutely sure Twitter, Arsenal Twitter is going to be full of X player does a thing in a game in the Euros and it's like within, I would say, minutes, there'll be a, an article somewhere uh, on one of those transfer websites or what have you, linking him with us. Um, but that's, you know, in part because we can all see we need to improve and, um, mm. you know, players who can do good things are 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 valuable to us. So, yeah. So you think Saka's going to miss out? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I He wouldn't for me, but I think in the sort of left-back area, um you know, there's Luke Shaw, who apparently has had a very good season. They're, they're going to play with wing-backs, probably, England. Mm. Um, there's Ben Chilwell, who obviously is, you know, played for Chelsea. They won the Champions League. Um, <coughs> uh, yeah. And I think in attack, I think the emergence of people like... I think Mason Greenwood is a bit of a threat to him in terms of his goal-scoring ability. I think... Uh, Jane Sancho he's mm. got a chance of making it when it was assumed he was going to be injured there's just a few names I mean I saw 
an article where like 10 journalists picked their um, players to be cut from Southgate's 33-man squad and all 10 picked Saka, which, I don't know, made me feel like the writing is on the wall mm. a little bit. It does seem mad, doesn't it, given quite how good he's been, but... Yeah, but it look... It's actually quite a talented generation of England players, believe it or not. There are, in fairness. I mean, there are some good ones there, but, you know... Uh, look, if it works out for him that he gets the summer off and he can rest and come back and prove Gareth Southgate wrong, maybe there's some motivation in that for him as well. So, uh, True. Okay. Yeah, it's, listen, it's kind of... I'm not hugely worried about either outcome with mm. Saka. I think if he goes... You know, yes, he'll be part of the training camp when he could be resting, but I think that will be a really good experience for him. Um, if he doesn't, he mm. can rest. I mean, ultimately, he's not going to be playing European fixtures as well next week, so I think the load is going to be slightly lightened on him next season. Yeah, regardless. next season, not next week. I don't think Sorry, there's any European games next week, <laughs> as far as I'm aware, unless there's some other trophy we Actually, don't know about that yeah. some it's other the Europa Conference cunts. conference uh, that we qualified for. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, where is my question gone? I just clicked off it there. Okay. It comes from Andre Guillory or Guillory, I think, uh, who's at and underscore Guillory or Guillory. Um, uh, I've wrecked his name. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, he says, do you think there's a worry that if we wait too long for Madrid's answer on Odegaard, we risk losing out on both him and Buendia, considering the amount of interest in the latter? Yes, I think that is a risk because, you know, Aston Villa are pretty serious about their interest in Buendia from what, uh, from what I gather. And, you know, they... Last summer, they did some pretty good business, pretty effectively, pretty swiftly. Mm. Um, they don't tend to hang around. The Odegaard situation is obviously complicated by what's happened with Zinedine Zidane. Him uh, stepping down from Madrid creates a bit of uncertainty, I think. I think if he was still there, our chances of getting Odegaard would have been slightly better. You know, who knows who will come in and what their vision yeah. for the team will be. But Madrid is one of those clubs a bit like Chelsea where you feel like not the owner, but the president has a certain degree of sway. You know, that if he said, well, I want Odegaard to be part of the future of the team at the, at the interview process for the new manager, mm. then that manager's probably going to go along with it. Yeah, but I mean, the president of Real Madrid could and probably more likely would say... I want Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, yeah so, that's, true. Uh, that's true. In order to fund that, given that we're broke we can sell Martin Odegaard for as much as we can get from Arsenal. Yeah, now that the Super League idea has gone down the drain, um, there's a bit of a fire sale potentially. That is true. I mean, Perez does like Odegaard apparently, mm. but you're he right would like to say, Mbappe more, wouldn't he? He, he would, would like love Mbappe it. more. Um, that would be kind of the jewel in the crown. And so, yeah, maybe we will be the beneficiaries there. I, I don't think that's one that's going to get resolved super swiftly, though. You know, I think we might have to wait a little bit. And that presents a problem with Buendia. Um, you know, do you press the button to get the guy you think? I mean, if Arsenal want Buendia, um, the player's going to want to do that, right? It's a, it's a great move for him from Norwich. And it's a better move. Well, <laughs> it, I think it's a better move than Aston Villa. Um, we have to believe that it is, right? 
I think, yeah, still in terms of stature and reputation. London. Yeah, there is that. And yeah, but look, again, maybe that's a sign of where we are, that we're competing with uh, Aston Villa for players. And that's not to be disrespectful of, uh, of Aston Villa or anything like it. But It is yeah. interesting, isn't it, how prices work in football? I mean, someone tweeted us the other day saying, I find it kind of amazing that we're talking about similar prices for Joe Willock and Martin Odegaard and it is curious that a player coming up from the championship say would potentially command the same kind of fee as an international captain who plays for Real Madrid. for Real Madrid yeah it is an odd thing well maybe the Odegaard price is uh, way off the mark maybe what Real Madrid want for Martin Odegaard is much more than Norwich want for yeah Wendia. maybe we're we're filling the blank with our optimism yeah, uh, this is the, yeah. the reverse of the. If we just sell Ainsley Maitland Niles for sixty million, yeah. maybe this is the reverse <laughs> of that, and then we buy Martin Odegaar for two pounds fifty million. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe, mm. maybe we're projecting that a bit. Hopefully, how, how, what's your gut feeling on Odegaard? Again, it's so hard to say because it really depends on what the new manager of Real Madrid wants. But they have just extended Modric, haven't they? For yeah. another year. For a year, yeah. So maybe that's a sign that they're, you know, kicking that particular can down the road. Mm. Would you take him on loan again? Uh... Like, let's say there was a loan fee of six million, seven million. Would you take him on loan for a year? And then you're, you know, maybe with an option. Oh, with an option, I think I would, yeah. With an option, I think I would. Would you? I think so, yeah. I want us to move away from loans. I know you don't like the loans, so I thought you were going to say no. But I think I would if there was an option. You know, go, going back to what you were saying the other day, you know, about being lucky to have had the... You know, the, the test more information drive. you can get yeah. before you actually spend the money. Yeah. You know, so we've had a, a four-month loan spell, which was, you know, good, but uh, affected by injury. Maybe if you get another whole season, you're you're much more rounded. I think Arteta is convinced anyway, um, you know, if they're moving that strongly for him. I think Arteta is convinced that he, he can be a player, um, you know, for this football club. Uh, on a permanent basis so uh, it's just it'll be just interesting to see how it might be structured you know yeah yeah very interesting mm. um, okay what about this question from Rian Rian Vacher since we're only going to be playing 38 games mm. plus cups how likely is it that the likes of Balogun Aziz John Jules etc stay with the club rather than get loaned out uh, and then he adds, feel like someone like Balogun would benefit from minutes more than just being on the fringes of the squad. Yeah, I mean, that is the one downside of um, not being in the Europa League mm -hmm. is that we don't have the minutes to give to young players. Yeah. You could look at that in a different way as well and say, if we were in the Champions League... Could we give those players minutes given the, the caliber of the opposition that we'd be playing? No. Yeah. So yeah. it's sort of this fringe benefit of being mediocre, right? 
in that you yeah. can use the Europa League group stages to blood young players because the teams you're playing aren't as high level as they are, you know, in the Champions League. So I think those players, like I don't really see that John Jules is going to make it. Aziz is obviously somebody they think very highly of. Balagoon as well, they think very highly of. Tied him down to a new deal. Um, so there's some uh, display of faith in him. But I think the point is valid that, like, when is he going to play? Like 20 minutes yeah. here or there? Do you bring him on in a game when you're 3-0 up and you feel safe? Is 2-0 safe enough? 2-0 up with 14 to minutes to go? Can you, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. So it wouldn't surprise me if those guys went on loan. I think without Europa League football, there's quite a good case to send them out. Mm. I mean, as much as we, you know, have very mixed feelings about the Europa League, I think we do have to look at the emergence of people like Martinelli, uh, Saka, to an extent, Joe Willock. I mean, they really did come through that competition. Mm. Um, and made great strides in it. And I think we ha- we're we grateful to that opportunity for providing them a platform to show what they could do and then later push on and start playing in more serious competitions for us. Um, you know, it's been a great kind of breeding ground for Arsenal talent and we that won't be available to us next year. I mean, I imagine we'll, you know, use the League Cup Mm-hmm. as far as we can in that way we'll be, we'll have an extra round we'll enter at the second round in the League Cup for the first time in a very very long time that's ridiculous so, that's ridiculous I know. isn't that weird that's ridiculous anyway go on yeah but yeah so potentially that's another fixture to offer the likes of Aziz and, and Balogun um, I mean do, does maybe with Balogun it depends on what happens to Lacazette and to Encadia, you know? So yeah. it might well be a case that Balagoon is, there's a place in the squad for him as one of the centre forwards because it looks like Eddie will go yeah. if they're not going to give him a new deal. I really think Lacazette should go because, you know, we cannot afford to let players leave for free. Again, going back to our question about resources and using them, even if you only get $20 million for for Lacazette, it's 20 million you didn't have. I think that would be a, actually quite a decent fee for him, uh, all mm-hmm. things considered. So, you know, that's the kind of decision-making that will impact Balagoon's future because he could then understudy, you have Aubameyang as your starting striker with Martinelli and, and Balagoon providing the, the backup, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True. Um, there, there could be a case. There could be a case for that. There's but, also, I mean, is there not also a case for a, a, a signing? If you're letting Lacazette and Kedia go, somebody who maybe has a bit more experience. Yeah, exactly. I mentioned that in, in my piece the other day. It's it's a position that is not, you know, top of the Arsenal list right now, but if sales happen, could come into it. I think if Balogun's third choice centre-forward, I think you should loan him out. Like if there's someone in between him and Aubameyang, even if that's Gabriel Martinelli, I think you should probably loan him out. I just think he could benefit so much from senior football. 
um, that that's the side of that I'd come down on. Mm. And you can always look at it again in January if you want. Or, But I, I just think it would be a shame for him to not finally get... Because, you know, he, he probably could have had more minutes this season, but the uncertainty over his contract, that affected things. The presence of Inketia affected things. Mm. Um, he, needs he needs to, to play. play, yeah. Yeah, I really do think that. Aziz... Is a bit trickier. Who knows what our midfield situation is going to be like coming into next season? Um, I think if he gets a good opportunity to go out and play, I think he should take it. I don't think we should underestimate how valuable those loan spells can be. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Look at Joe Willock. Yeah, for sure. Actually, while you've just mentioned Joe Willock, yes, I have a couple of questions here. One from Joe, who's at Red and White Eleven. He said, after reading the Willock article on the site and seeing the stats. Would it make sense to give him a shot at striker? He seems to fit the bill on what Arteta wants from his striker more than a midfielder in the system we play. And Chris, who's at Chris, Chris, uh, A-I-H-E, so Chris, uh, uh, says, could we sell Lacazette and make Willock a striker? Um, Joe Willock used uh, if Arteta ever wants to play the false nine again. Is he the falsest of false nines? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean... I had an interesting conversation with Tom Wervel about this and he was telling me how statistically there are kind of similarities in Joe Willock's profile to that of uh, Ilkay Gundogan in terms of how often he gets into the box, the amount of touches he takes in the box, mm. the XG he produces. I've not seen the um, data visualisation piece on Blog News, so I don't know if that covers similar territory. But it does a bit, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... Um, it's tempting. I have to say, I don't look at Joe Willock and think centre forward. I think what makes him so dangerous really is that ability he has to kind of arrive in the box and the timing of those runs. I actually think I'd be more inclined to sort of see him as like a second striker, like a kind of shadow striker, mm. someone playing off a front man than I would as the front man. Um what do you think? Well, I don't know. I don't think he would uh, would be a striker or should be repurposed as a striker. But I, I think one of the things that Mikel Arteta said last year was that he wanted um, to play a 4-3-3, I think. Mm-hmm. And wasn't it, there was a little bit of controversy is the wrong word, but he said something al- along the lines of you need the specificity of player to be able to do that, right? And we don't have those players. And, you know, maybe it was seen as counterproductive to sort of say publicly that you don't have the players to play the kind of football that you want to play, um, yeah. which, which I understand. But, you know, is Joe Willock not a perfect player for a midfield three? Yeah. So maybe, maybe... You know, for all the talk of how he doesn't quite fit Arteta's system right now, what if the system changed? Whoa. Mind-blowing. I'm not saying it will, but, you know, maybe that could be part of how you you assemble your midfield for next season. If, you, if you're letting Ganduzi go, if you're letting Torreira go, if Shaka goes, you obviously have to make a signing, but you need more than need more than that. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a possibility, isn't it? Yeah. Um, increasingly, I find it hard to see Joe will look at Newcastle next season. I just, I'm just not convinced they've got the 
financial capacity to make us an offer you know we feel inclined to take I think he'll be at Arsenal or elsewhere within the Premier League um, Newcastle fans won't mm. appreciate me saying that but that's just my sense of it um, what about this I don't know if we've done this but Thomas Telly Junkies who's at Thomas Wilshire, no relation presumably says unpopular we had Kalasnach and Ainsley Maitland-Niles out on loan for the end of the season. Nonetheless, I feel either of them would have played important games in the last weeks. Was it a mistake we are not willing to admit? Well, this goes back to the Kieran Tierney thing that we talked about a bit earlier, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was letting Kalasnach go a mistake? No. No, absolutely not. I think he was one of the characters that needed to go. I mean, we got shot pretty quickly. So um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, could he have played at left back? I remember Ainsley having a couple of games there and it not going particularly well. Um, Yeah. You know, we did have, sorry to keep banging this drum, but we did have an almost perfect solution um, to Tierney's absence in the second half of the season in the shape of Bakayo Saka, but we did something different. So I don't think it was a mistake necessarily to let either of them go. If you're if you're going to bring in a left back and you want a very specific left back, you know. You're not going to bring in, uh, you know, the the old player. We had apparently Cedric, who could reportedly uh, play left back, but didn't. Um, rumors, rumors, rumors suggest. You know, he did have a couple of games there, made a couple of yeah. mistakes, and then never played there again. So, I don't think that was the mistake. I think I still think the mistake was playing Shaka there. So, mm-hmm. okay. So there you go. There we go. There we go. Uh, that's what I think of that. Do you think differently? Or? Um, I mean, I think Kolasinac could be so bad at times that I'm not sure how helpful that would have been. I guess the only thing he would have done, uh, or Maitland-Lars might have done, would have been enable us to keep Shaka in midfield. Mm. I think moving Kolasinac on was, and maybe Maitland-Lars, was about more than what positions they could play. Mm. I think it was about having players who... Arteta felt were right for the club and committed to the project in the second half of the season. And I don't think he would undo those decisions if he could. So I think it's difficult to kind of call them a mistake, even if I I do accept the point that from a tactical perspective, they might have solved the problem. Okay. Um, Matt Knight, who's at Mr. Underscore Matt Underscore Knight says, with funds limited, which position would you go big on at the expense of another position not being added to? For example, if we can get Basuma for 50 million, but it means Chambers and Cedric are our right backs, are you doing it? P.S. Backup left back must be signed. Well, I think this is a good question because Arsenal are in this position where they probably do have to prioritise. It's really interesting. Last summer, they they made a call ultimately, didn't they? They went for... Thomas Partey rather than a creative midfield player in the summer window. They couldn't ultimately do both. Um, 
And I think you can... <laughs> I think on the one hand, it's good that they didn't sort of just panic by and bring someone in who they weren't sure about. On the other hand, not having that creative link between midfield and attack deeply hurt the first half of Arsenal's season. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you can debate that one. I think partly because of that, if I did have to prioritise a position in this window, I think it would be the number 10 for me. I just think... That is such a clear, even with the emergence of Smith Rowe, I think a missing piece in the jigsaw. Um, mm. And I would like to see that fixed. And if it means we have to kind of make do and mend at fullback a little bit, uh, then I guess, while that's not, I don't consider that ideal, I guess so be it. Mm. I think we need that. Player. I was interested um, in your piece to note that Callum Chambers has got an option of another year on his contract. Yeah. Do you have any idea when that has to be activated? Because those kind of clauses usually have a a time on them, don't they? That you have yeah, to activate yeah, that's it a by... Good point. I don't know, uh, to be frank. And I know that... All I do know is that it's not like Chambers has been in contract talks with the club. I think the, cl- the club haven't addressed the possibility of a new deal yet one that would take him beyond that option Mm. but I think the fact they have that option um, maybe it gives them a little bit more flexibility in their planning in that position than we thought it did look like either they've got to give him a five year deal or they've got to sell him kind of thing whereas now they can if they want they can push that decision Mm. back by 12 months Um, I don't know what position would you prioritise at the expense of others. I'm sort of with you on the the creative midfielder. But I do think that central midfield... Like, I'm I'm cautious and and wouldn't want to overburden Emile Smith-Rowe, which is why I think he does exist, and I think he can do that. Um, and I think if he plays more regularly, he will develop as a player, and that that's obviously beneficial. Um, but, you know, like we said last week, you, you've got to be building a squad, not just for next season where you don't have European games. You've got to be building a squad with European football the following season in mind. Because mm-hmm. if we don't have European football, n- not next season, but the season after this one, well, you know, everyone's getting fired. <laughs> yeah, I suspect that's true. You know, so because that will be a massive, massive failure on the part of of you know the manager, the technical director, the recruitment, all of it. You know, so yeah. everyone's getting fired if we don't get into Europe next season in some degree or another. And I don't mean the Europa Conference League either. Um, mm. I think if we end up in that next season, everyone should be fired as well. Um, so I do think, you know, just having a bit more depth in that creative midfielder um, position is important. So your your Odegaard or, or Buendia, whoever that might be. But but with Sabahis having gone home, we are very light in the sort of deeper midfield positions too, yeah, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. So I do think a central midfield, would I take a central mid, a really good central midfield player at the expense of... If it meant, for example, Callum Chambers was playing right back next season, yeah, I I would. I think so. Yeah, if same. I had to make that sacrifice, I mean, we're dealing in um, podcasting hypotheticals here, so don't go crazy, everyone. But yeah, I think. Yeah, I I'd, I'd 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 prioritize probably the creative midfielder and the central midfielder, 
over right back. I, I tend to agree with the question that having learnt what we did last season, some sort of left back in the squad, mm. I think is pretty important. Yes. Um, yeah. I, but- I know. I mean, we still have Saka, I guess, but... Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, I think that was the solution for this season, and yeah. for the for the for the circumstances in which we found ourselves in that we didn't have a natural left back, and the most obvious answer was that. I don't think it should be the solution for next season. Let me be clear about that. You know, we we've got time, uh, three months now to to source a left back. Do you have any indication of of who we're looking at? I got a snippet of information about the guy at Hibs, Josh Doig. Yeah, I, well, I know that he is on the list, but from what I understand, he's not—he's um, not sort of number one or number two. Hibbs, so, Hibbs looking for five million pounds okay. plus uh, a percentage of uh, a sell-on percentage in the deal. Yeah, I mean, if Arsenal can get themselves someone who they think is a decent uh, backup to Tierney for five million pounds, it's a deal worth doing, right? Mm. Um, but from what I know, although they do like him, I don't think he's he's the one. I don't know who it is mm. at this point. But I think that is a position that they need to attend to. I mean, it's interesting, like left back and number 10, they're both kind of hangovers from previous windows, really. I mean, mm. last summer we were trying for the number 10. We ended up doing a loan in January. We'd probably still need that permanent signing and left back... You know, we, we could have attended that to that in January. We chose not to. I sort of think we have to now um, to justify the logic in that, really. Mm. Um, right, I'll have a look in my little folder of questions. What have we got here? Oh, uh, we've talked about that. We've talked about that. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was um, no, no, CIS said, what do the rumours of us looking for another centre-back say about the club's evaluation of Saliba? Yeah. We've done that. Uh, MJ Strianese, if you could buy one player from each of the relegated clubs, who would you choose? Oh, um... Play this game every year, don't we? We do. I have to go and look at the squads of the... Okay, I'll see if I can make a little head start. Um, so... Sheffield United, a bottom. The one everyone's talking oh, about there Sander is Sanderberg. I mean... He's not set the world alight, has he, in Sheffield? Um, but he is a central midfield player. He is tall, he is strong, he can pass. Given our lack of depth in that area, I guess I guess he's the obvious choice. Not Phil Jagielka, uh, who could, uh, you know, play, yeah, no, play in goal as well. I, I am interested in their... They've got a very young centre-forward... Um, not Rian Brewster, who they bought from Liverpool at great expense. Antoine Hackford is his name. Right. He is 16 years... He became their youngest ever Premier League player at 16 years of age this season. Mm. And he's one of those guys who it's like a bit of a Walcott situation. Everyone's talking about him in, you know, youth levels of football. Right. So... You know, I might choose him. But if I was thinking about first team, immediate improvement, I guess got to be Sanderberg. Yeah, there's uh, nobody else who really stands out for no, me there, to no. be honest. So I'll I'll uh, go with that one. West Brom, I would take uh, Pereira, Mateus Pereira. Yeah, he's a nice player. He is good. 
had a good season, uh, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, I twelve goals, really well. quite a few assists, very good set piece delivery. So you know, I would I a would bit of a Buendia season when he was in the Premier League. You know, went down but made mm. a really good impression. Um, yeah, how old is he, Matheus Pereira? He's a Brazilian, twenty five. Twenty five. Okay, good age. Good age. Good age, good play. Yeah, I, I like him. I agree with you on that. And lastly, uh, Fulham. Mm. Fulham. 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 I actually know Fulham. my answer to this, but I can't remember the guy's name. I'm going to have to uh, look him up now. The midfielder. Well, yeah, there is one midfielder I'm thinking of. I think it's Angisa. Yeah. He is a nightmare to play against. He's, he's what I, when I was looking at sort of, I was doing some sort of stats research on a piece and in terms of like, <clears throat> you know, actual tackles and mm. uh, contests for the ball and duels and that sort of thing, he's sort of way out in front of a lot of people. He's, he's very, very physical. Um, you know, not the most accomplished player, but very dynamic Um so I'd probably go for him. Okay, I'll follow uh, you. Although, later. go on. Or you're who would you? Who would you? Who else would you say? Well, I mean, it'd be hard to turn down Mitrovic, wouldn't it? You know, of course. Um, who else would I go for? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. None of those names are really singing to me. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's. There's not such clear names as there have been in previous seasons. Um, yeah, there's a guy okay. at Fulham called Sylvester Jasper, who okay. I'd probably just sign so maybe for his him name. On the name, yeah. I mean, I think Adamola Lookman's quite a good player, um, but pff, does he even belong to them or is he on loan? I can't remember. Don't know. Don't they have Mitch a centre half? The ultimate plan yeah. B. Don't they have a centre half that we're apparently after as well? Oh, do they? I don't know about that. Right. Maybe. Maybe so. um, okay. I'm going to stick with Angisa. Right. I'm sure the listeners will have ideas. They always do. They always tell us what, you know, what we should have said. Yes. They know better than us anyway. So, they do. I mean, we'll, yes. We'll I mean, they really do. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's do this one. It's uh, been asked a couple of times in the Discord. Uh, Dazzy Pepper says, time for the transfer predictions? Uh, that was a question. Uh, what will this summer's total spend and net spend be? And Nick says, how much money will we spend on buying footballers from other teams? How much money will we uh, will we make from selling our footballers to other teams? I think this is going to be the hardest transfer money prediction question ever. Ever. And we're usually bad at it anyway. Well, you know what happens, though? We do them. And we forget. We forget completely about them, and then the transfer window closes, and we never go back and say, hey, were we right? So this time, James, this time... I feel like we've made these promises before. I know. I'm just saying it. Um, <laughs> I am going to keep a spreadsheet of what we think in a place where I can find it again, not on a bit of paper that on I put computer. to one side, on my computer. I am going to save it, James... In the cloud. Oh, my God. It will live forever. McLeod. The time capsule. Yes. Connor McLeod. Okay. 
Andrew, oh, that's right, me. Well, I'll be doing my workings for this live, by the way. I haven't thought this through. That doesn't matter. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, spending. Uh, selling. Okay. So you've got to think about how much we are going to spend. Yeah. And how much we are going to sell. How much? What, what do you think is the easiest one to figure out? Uh, I think sell is the easier. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, you going to work it out? Yeah. I think... Um, I'm working it out live. I'll, I'll talk you through it as I'm do doing it. Do it live! It. We'll do it live! Okay, I think we'll sell Hector Bellerin for 15 million. Okay. I think we'll sell... Genduzi, yeah. potentially to Marseille. Yeah, this week for maybe. for a prox ten mil. Yeah, I saw a twelve million euro fee being mentioned right. today. So, well, that would be that would be decent. I'd take that given everything that's gone on. Um, I think personally, I think we're going to fail to sell Lucas Torreira. I think he'll end up on loan or something like that. Right. Um. Just a hunch. Okay. I just don't know if there'll be a buyer. But hopefully I'm wrong. Who else are we uh, selling, James? Or are we selling Granite Shaka? Possibly. Um, the names are Shaka, Lacazette. I think Willian will go, but I don't think we'll get any money. That's for sure. I'm going to say we'll sell Eddie and Ketia. Mm-hmm. How for- much? Uh, 17 million. <laughs> You're supposed to take this seriously, James. I think it's possible. 17 million pounds for Eddie and Keddie, really? People are talking about 40 million pounds for Joe Willock. He's the highest goal scorer in England under 21 history. What, what did, um, Sheffield United buy Brewster for? 23 million. But you. Uh, Liverpool sold him. They're good at that. But what I'm saying is, we should be aim. I mean, we're not. We're not going to get 23 million. But no, we're not. <laughs> I think. Well, we'll listen. Get- if I'm wrong, it's good for you. You want me to be wrong? I don't what do you think you we'll get, Freddie and Ketia? I think we'll get nine, maybe eight or nine for Eddie. Are we doing this together or separately? Um, I'm sort of listening to you and then deciding what what's going. Okay. Happen. So okay. So, who else are we going to sell? Are we going to sell... Are we selling Xhaka? Have you have you decided we're selling Xhaka or not? Come on, make your mind up. Mikel Arteta right, needs I'll to know. I'll say we'll sell Xhaka. 20 million. 20 Xhaka. million. Okay. So, so this far, is- so far, you've got 25 million, 45 million, plus 17 million for Eddie and Kedia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's sixty-two I've, million pounds you've generated. I'm dangerously so far. close to one of those Twitter threads, aren't I? About how we remodel the squad. So close, so close, so so close. Uh, I'm just looking at the squad now, trying to figure out if anyone else is going to go. Maitland Niles. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How much for England international Ainsley Maitland Niles? Um. 15 million? Okay. 
it feels ambitious too, but I mean, it feels a lot more realistic than seventeen million for Eddie. To strikers me, anyway. cost more. Strikers cost more. Yeah. What do you think Eddie would cost? Did you just say I this? said about? Nine. I think about. I think if we get eight to ten million, we'd take it. Really? Mm. Well, I think there'll be more money for him, but but a year less on his deal. Mavropanos will sell. Mavropanos. How much are you selling Mavropanos for? Seven million. Okay. So you've 15 million, so 62 million, 77 million. You've added another seven with Mavropanos, so that's 83 million so far. I mean... You need to be the fucking technical director. That's what this is doing. And I haven't sold... Torreira, I haven't sold Joe Willock, I haven't sold Lacazette, I haven't sold Saliba. See, that was my one. I was gonna yeah, I think Saliba could be a I'm gonna call it there. I don't know if they're the right players, but I can't imagine we're gonna get more money than that. I'm gonna say that's my number. Eighty three million is your number. Right. I mean that's loads. We're not getting that, but anyway. I what's yours then? Okay, I gotta go through who we're who I think we're gonna sell. Yeah, and let's, let's, let's hear names and numbers. Okay. Bellerin. 12 million. Okay. Mm. Edging Ketia, 4p. Cedric. 3 million. Okay. Bite your hand off. Yeah. Will I do it? Saliba, 20 million. Okay. Someone had to do it. Someone had to. Xhaka, uh, 20 million. Okay. Lacazette, 12 million. Okay. Reese Nelson. Forgot about him. Just for genuinely completely even forgot he was alive. Seven million. Eddie. I said eight. I feel less eight. ambitious about that now. Really? Now you're there, you're like yeah, no. that's too much. I think five million for Reese Nelson and six million for Eddie. Oh my word. Yeah. I'm just, you know, looking this. at the market through yeah, my glasses right. of realism. You might be right. Uh, Ganduzi, obviously. We got the fee of it's around 10 million. And Saka, 60 million. Saka, 90 million to Manchester, to Manchester City. City. Yeah. So I think we're generating uh, 12 and 3, 15, 65 with Lacazette. Oh, Jesus. Lacazette, that's 77. 87 and 11. 87 and 11. So you ended up with 98 million me, despite your realism. Yeah, but I threw in Saliba for 20 million. You know, you, you didn't go there. That's true. I bottled that. Yeah. So. Right. Incoming. Okay. Incoming. Incoming. Um, so these are the things I think we'll definitely do. Definitely do a 10. We'll definitely do a keeper, in my opinion. I think we'll definitely do 
a central midfielder if we've sold Chaka. Mm. Um, and I think we'll definitely do a left back. I think they're the only ones I can say with absolute certainty that I think we'll do. So let's say... Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy, this. It's not, no. I don't think we're getting a number 10 realistically for less than about 40 million. I just don't think we are. Well, if if it's Buendia, it's around 30. That's the numbers doing the rounds today from Norwich that both Max Ahrens and Emmy Buendia are available for around or a, a 30 million as a starting point, which means, you know, they'll take around that. Yeah, I've heard higher, but maybe that's... I'm going to say... All right, I'm going to say we can get one for 30. Madrid are in a terrible mess financially. They need and, you know, Mbappe. They need that sweet, sweet I think we should be able to sign Odegaard for the same price we sell Eddie and Ketia for. That's according, <laughs> this is according to my transfer plan. That's what we need. Um, goalkeeper. I think we'll spend a fair amount on a goalkeeper. I'm wow. going to say I think it'll be 12 million. At least. Mm. Which some would query. They Isn't would. That wise? Central midfield. If Shaka's going out, you need someone decent in. Yeah. So I'm going to say we'll spend 25 million. You, who, who are you getting for 25 million? You reckon you could get a Basuma for 25 million? I reckon you could have a go. I reckon they'd probably want more like 30, 35. But I reckon there's got to be a player out there for 25 million. If you sold Shaka at 20, there's got to be someone out there. Yeah. If not, then maybe we shouldn't have sat all those scouts. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then left back, I'm going to say like 6 million. 6 million. So, so let me just double check this. Twelve million for a goalkeeper, twenty-five million for a central midfielder. You went with thirty million for a uh, for for the ACM. Yeah, can I is, up that? Yeah, to thirty-five. Thirty-five. So we've got um, my brain is for sixty. Twenty-five million. plus thirty-five is sixty. 60. Plus eighteen, seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. So I've million. got us in profit. That'll go down well, I imagine. Mm. <laughs> With Cronky out for a gate. If we turn a nice profit <laughs> in the summer transfer window. Net spend of minus whatever it is. You've made a five million. Yeah, net spend of minus five million. I That doesn't sound right, does it? No. It sounds like we're talking out of our arses, in fairness. Which is, you know, pretty much what we're doing here. But yeah. I think it's because there's so many players we could sell and we're probably yeah, not going to sell. it's impossible to call. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like selling but, everyone I want to sell. Uh, Saliba's not included in that before people go crazy. Uh, and, and just to, to clarify, so in my numbers, I didn't sell people like Lacazette. I didn't sell Saliba. I didn't sell... Reese Nelson. El Nenny, Reese Nelson. Mm. But I did, and in, when I bought, I didn't buy a right back stuck with Chambers and Cedric and I um, 
I was maybe conservative in my prices for the central midfielder in number 10. Maybe I should increase those. Can I please change it? Yes, of course. Can I go to 40 million for my number 10? Yeah. I'll stick with... No, I'm going to raise the goalkeeper's 15 as well. Okay. Now I know I've got this budget to play with. Yeah, yeah. I've got... Uh, and then I'll have 6 million left back and I'll go 30 million central midfield. So my final numbers are 70, 85, 91. 91 so KSE do care. They spent how much? Uh, what was your... See, I've forgotten already. 83. They've spent... They spent £8 million. Pounds. £8 million pounds on rebuilding. They care. Do you? <laughs> I... Okay. Do we? Right. Okay. A net spend of £8 million. Surely the... Premier League title right. will be ours. Okay. Mm, right back. Mm. I think we're going to buy a player at right back. That would be nice. Yeah. So I'm going to go 23 million. I don't know who it is, though. Very specific, though. I like that. Mm. Goalkeeper. See, we didn't sell Burned Leno either. What if we sell Burned Leno? Anyway. Goalkeeper, I reckon it's going to be less than you predict. So I'm going to go with like 7 million for a goalkeeper. Okay. Oh, no. Goalkeeper's going to have to be homegrown, isn't he? Mm, that is one of, the, one of the considerations. Hmm. I'll have to raise that if it's going to be a homegrown player. <laughs> okay. The Inketia tax. Yeah. <laughs> 12 million. Central midfielder, 30 million. Attacking yeah, midfielder, million. 40 million. Yeah, with you on those. And a left back, 400 million? <laughs> I think it's either going to be... It's going to be... And it should be probably cheap. So it's either going to yeah, be... I went six. An old free transfer, or it's going to be a young up-and-comer. Whippersnapper. A whippersnapper who maybe hasn't established himself somewhere yet. So... Mm. I will go... Five million on the right, on the left back. So that gives me a total of what? 23, 70, 83, and 12, 95, and five, 100 million. 100 million bang on, I think. Wow. If my maths are right, which they might be, but they might not. Be. Uh, I mean, what I will say is, I don't believe. Like, I'm happy to stick with those as my numbers because there has been a logic to getting to them. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if I step back, I think that's right. I think we will end up in a deficit. I think we will have spent more than five million or something this summer. But maybe that's crazy. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're right. Maybe it will be X million in, X million out. Maybe. It could be just a crazy summer. Who knows? Anyway, it's just a fun podcast exercise. Nobody should take this in any way seriously. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> I just don't want any. I don't want to see any aggregated Twitter accounts saying, "Ask blog and Gunner blog confirm 
Arsenal to will spend, spend 100 million. 100 million war chest in this transfer window. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that will happen within minutes of this podcast going yeah. out. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, we better, uh, we better call it a day, leave it there. Although we did have Jack Porter, who said to fill the void until next season, are we going to get any more arse blog versus gunner blog FIFA matches? We should probably do one of those during I'm the summer, sure shouldn't we? There will be one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we'll yeah. do that. That's for sure. Um, I'll, I'll play Eddie and Ketty up front and show you what he's really worth. £17 million Eddie and Ketty bangs in the goals for James, I'm sure. If we get £17 million for Eddie and Ketty, I will buy you a prize. Okay. I'll get you a prize of some kind. If the we value get to, of £17 million. Well, it might um, mention the monetary uh, value of the uh, the incident, if not necessarily okay. be worth that itself. Right. Okay. But I, I'll, and catch it. <laughs> I'll stand by that and I will, uh, you know, I will make sure that I, I mark your correctness on, on that particular issue. Okay. I look forward to it. All right, folks. Um, thanks as ever for uh, being here. If you've made it this far, God bless you. Um, you know, it's it's been a challenge for us and I'm sure it's been a challenge for you. So uh, we will uh, have a regular Arscast on Friday. We'll maybe do something midweek um, on Patreon for transfers or something like that. I'll have a think about it. I've had this week just to kind of not think about anything. So now I have to start thinking about stuff again, which is... Oh, what a pain. I know, I know. Okay, well, look, we will leave it there. As ever, thanks for listening and we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.